Good morning, John. Good morning, Jim. This is the first day after Thanksgiving. We had a beautiful time here at our place, and I trust you did too, with your couple that you met with. Yes, we did. I'm still recovering. I will, I will assist my recovering after our podcast by going out and raking leaves in the sunshine. Yes, isn't that fun? We did some of that yesterday or the day before, in the morning yesterday, I guess. Well, today is uh, November the 27th, and we want to take up a topic today. It is titled, our podcast, our episode 33 is titled, What the Prophet Jonah Has to Say to Our End Times. Jonah? You know, you know Jonah seems to be familiar to all of us. Almost uh, every Christian has heard about Jonah, and even non-Christians have. Uh, most remember him as the prophet who ran away from his commission by God and was swallowed by a big fish. Some inappropriately designate that as a whale. It may have been. We don't really know. But that uh, uh, event was to bring him to repentance and fulfill his commission that he was to take uh, and go to Nineveh and proclaim there that the judgment of the Lord was going to come in, uh, what was it, 45 days or 40 days? Yeah. And, and then... Uh, God's judgment would come. Interestingly, <clears throat> according to the book of Jonah, the commission came to him, and instead of going toward Nineveh, which was toward the north, a little bit to the east, but several hundred miles to the north as part of Assyria, he went the opposite direction, toward Tarshish. And he got on a ship and sailed that direction, and, and Tarshish is uh, really unknown to us as to where many speculate it may be as far as on the coast of Spain, which would be a couple thousand miles away. <laughs> and so in, Jonah, so, oh, what's that? We're running in the other direction. Yes, just the opposite direction almost, and uh, heading that as far away as he could. <clears throat> but you know, there's more to the story of Jonah. Uh, in the New Testament, Jesus cites Jonah twice, and uh, it's very important. Uh, the first time he refers to uh, Jonah as indicating uh, a type or prediction of the length of his uh, burial in the grave, three days and three nights. Jesus says that Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so I will be in the heart of the earth. Uh, so that's one use that Jesus makes of Jonah. The other one is in regards to the end times, <clears throat> and we'll get to that in just a moment. But it's very interesting that... Uh, uh, we have a statement in the Gospel of John near the beginning in which Jesus is calling his disciples. And he says this uh, in John 146. Uh, 145 says that Philip, who's already a disciple, found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses wrote in the law and the prophets also wrote. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Verse 46, Nathanael said to him, can anything good be from Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Uh, and, and I remember when Pat and I were in Israel and we were traveling through uh, the area, the city of Nazareth, that our guide told us this. He said that Jonah was uh, depreciated among the Jews. And, uh, and that's why Nathaniel says what he does. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, of course, Jesus comes out of Nazareth not far from the home place of Jonah, which is Gath-Hefer, uh, just a few miles northeast of Nazareth. And the reason that uh, this whole area had such a low appreciation among the Jews is that the leaders of the Jews didn't like the story of Jonah. 
uh, nothing good can come out of Nazareth because Jonah prophesied that God was offering uh, judgment and uh, forgiveness upon repentance to a Gentile nation. And this was uh, Israel's great enemy. At least it would uh, come to be such. And uh, Jonah didn't want to share that kind of message and give an offer of opportunity to uh, Nineveh to repent. And so uh, Jesus also is put in the same category as Jonah because he comes from Nazareth and much of his ministry, uh, somewhat significant part of his ministry was devoted to bringing salvation and healing and other things to Gentiles. Right. And so, and so both Jesus and Jonah share a common despised origin. And of course, Nathaniel learned not to believe such things because Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and said of him, truly, uh, here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel is surprised by that. And he says, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathaniel realizes that this one is the son of God and replies, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And uh, Jesus goes on to say, do you think this is great for me to say this to you? I'm going to show you much greater things than these. Yeah. And you're going to even heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man, which is an allusion to the event of Jacob and uh, the night he had the dream of the angels on the ladder. Right. In, any, in any case, these are just powerful uh, glimpses of the significance of Jonah, and we fail to fully appreciate him. The background of Jonah is that uh, his name means dove, and as I said a few moments ago, comes from Gath Heifer, a few miles northeast of Nazareth. Uh, he lived during the 8th century, 700 or so BC. Most uh, place the date of Jonah around 770 BC. Uh, he's only mentioned, of course, in the book of Jonah, and then in one other place in the Old Testament, in 2 Kings. And the reference there is very interesting. Jonah is validated as a genuine prophet because of what he says. In 2 Kings 14, I want to read these verses. Uh, chapter 14, verses 25 through 27. Jer uh, Jonah lived during the reign of Jeroboam II, who was one of the most wicked uh, kings of Israel in the north. But it was also one of the most successful, at least from an economic and other standpoint, military standpoint. And uh, it tells us in these verses, I'm looking at 14, 25 to 27. Uh, it tells us that uh, Jeroboam restored the border of Israel from the entrance of Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel which he spoke through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Hefer. For the Lord saw the misery of Israel, which was very bitter, for there was neither bond nor free spared, nor was there any helper for Israel. And yet the Lord did not say that he would wipe out the name of Israel from under heaven, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. For this time in history, in the history of Israel in the north, God uh, gave uh, prosperity to Jeremiah, uh, Jeroboam II and to all of Israel, northern Israel, uh, out of mercy and forgiveness. Uh, 
and, Jer and Jonah, the prophet who uh, prophesied these things, would come to uh, Jeroboam II. And uh, because he prophesied correctly, that validated him as a genuine prophet. Uh, it's an amazing passage, actually, because in spite of the great wickedness of, of Jeroboam II, it tells us that, that the Lord saw the misery of Israel. We are told in the rest of the passage that Jeroboam expanded the territory of Israel in the north. And it was during this time, uh, about eight, uh, B.C., uh, before Christ, 770, that Jeroboam carried out his ministry toward uh, Nineveh. Uh, Nineveh probably was in a stalemate, as it were, at, uh, as a form of speaking. Uh, they were bothered by tribes uh, uh, to the north of them, and they were uh, engaged in putting down uh, those tribes. And so during this time that Nineveh was distracted away from Israel, Israel prospered. And, and Jeremiah had something to do with that prosperity as a prophet predicting it and so forth. So um, we, we wonder what uh, Jeremiah, uh, pardon me, Jonah's preaching was all about. Um, when we look at the book of Jonah, and all of us are familiar with the story, uh, his message was simply that he was to go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it because their wickedness has come up before me. That's the second verse of the first chapter. Uh, but instead of flee uh, giving this message to uh, Nineveh, Jonah fled to the opposite direction, as we've already said. Uh, and we know how the Lord then dealt with him. Uh, as he's aboard this ship, a great storm comes up on the Mediterranean, and the, and the sailors are deeply... Uh, afraid and uh, each cried out to his own god and they hur hurled their cargo into the sea uh, and in contrast in contrast to all of this jonah goes down below in the uh, into the stern of the ship and lies down and falls asleep and the captain approaches him and says how is it that you can sleep at a time like this call on your god perhaps your god will be concerned about us so that we will not perish and uh the storm is not uh it does not decrease, so the sailors start casting lots to find out who could count the capacity uh, lies. Whose fault is this? And the lots, as we uh, are told in the text, fell on Jonah. And they ask him, uh, uh, tell us now on whose account has this catastrophe struck us? What is your occupation and where do you come from and what is your country and what people are you? And Jonah, you get, you get a whole series of questions thrown at Jonah. <laughs> His response is honest. I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And the sailors then become uh, even more afraid uh, because Jonah's God is the one who made the sea and can control it. And so Jonah finally volunteers these uh, words, pick me up and throw me into the sea and then the sea will become calm. And Jonah thought at that moment, this is the end of me. Uh, the men didn't want to do that at first and tried to row desperately toward land and the storm got even worse. So then interestingly in verse 14 of chapter one, it says that they cried out to the Lord, that's the God of Jonah, the true God who made the heavens and the earth uh, and said, we earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life and do not put innocent blood on us for you, Lord, have made, have done as you please. And I find this interesting 
because all the sailors basically are converted to the true God. They cry out to uh, the God that Jonah professes to follow, and they ask him to uh, overlook uh, the act that they're about to uh, commit, throwing Jonah into the sea. All very interesting things, don't you think, John? I think so. It's just really quite incredible. I think uh, it's very obvious uh, before this moment, they're all uh, pagans of very various sorts uh, asking Jonah to cry out to his God. But when he identifies who his God is, they are very impressed. So I think even though they may be pagans, they are aware of Yahweh, the God of Israel, and what he has done in history and they're prepared to listen to him. Yes, uh, no doubt they've heard uh, uh, the tales of how God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt and done tremendous miracles and plagues and uh, brought about their deliverance there under Pharaoh. And subsequent to that, various victories that had come to uh, Israel entering into the promised land and under Joshua and subsequent kings, yep. uh, good kings in the north and in the south. So all of this history is before them and they've heard about it. So it doesn't take long for them to quickly switch allegiances to their pagan deities and to call upon the God of Jonah, the God of the Bible. Um, so the last verse of this first chapter is very significant in light of the New Testament because it tells us that Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three days and three nights. And it is here where Jonah uh, issues his uh, great prayer uh, and calling upon God. He, he was probably very much surprised that he was still alive. But this is the passage and, and the particular uh, verse that Jesus cites and says to uh, the Jews of his day, uh, don't you know that Jonah uh, by his uh, being in the fish's stomach for three and a half days is an object lesson for how it is going to turn out for me. I am going to be in the grave for three days and three nights before resurrection. And so Jonah becomes a very significant uh, person in the New Testament as indicating uh, the death and burial of the Lord Jesus himself. Um, you know, it's interesting also to ask the question, why is it that uh, when Jonah finally goes back to Nineveh, uh, he says, uh, the, the, the scripture records uh, at the end of chapter two with just one verse, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. And uh, Jonah is therefore rescued. And the very next verse says he goes back and now proclaims uh, uh, as the word of the Lord comes to him a second time, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. So Jonah goes through this city, according to the word of the Lord, which was a great city, taking much time to go through. And this is the summary of Jonah's message. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, it's interesting that the text simply says that is the message of Jonah. I suspect that this is a summary statement and that Jonah, as he came into Nineveh, both in his person and in additional words, made uh, a strong message to the Ninevites to convince them to repent. I agree. I, I imagine that Jonah could point to himself and say, look at me. Have you ever seen a person like me? I've just come out of the belly of a fish. He must have been and, quite a uh, sight. 
<laughs> I can't imagine what he must have looked like with all of those digestive juices pouring over him for those days. Yes, having uh, attempting to uh, uh, consume uh, Jonah and made a lasting impact impact on his physical uh, appearance. Uh, and, and you know, I suspect that even though the Bible says his message is just the, that short message uh, in 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown, uh, that there were probably other things going on. He may have had additional words and it could be along the line that we were just talking about. Uh, he could have said, the God that I serve is the God who delivered we or delivered us Jews, uh, Israelites out of Egypt. Uh, don't you recall the other great miracles that he'd done on behalf of the people of Israel, both in Judah and in Israel in the north? Uh, you know, the year is, as I said earlier, about 770 B.C. under King Jeroboam. And uh, the Ninevites could have looked out on the horizon and seen uh, various other historical uh, entities arising in power. Yes. Uh, we're told that... Uh, Babylonia was uh, uh, on the horizon, and so were the Medes. And according to the book of Daniel, uh, Assyria is going to be replaced by Babylon under uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, II. Uh, and so Jonah is preaching in the year 770 BC. Well, within 150 years, uh, the whole uh, empire of Assyria is going to uh, rise to ascendancy to uh, capture Israel in the, the northern part of Israel, uh, of which Jeroboam was the king. But in 722, all of uh, northern Israel falls to Assyria. But within another hundred years, Nineveh falls to the Medes and the Babylonians. And I suspect that when Jonah is preaching in 770 BC, 150 years or so earlier, that uh, people had heard about the rise and uh, the power of a, an ascending empire, a kingdom under uh, Nebuchadnezzar, perhaps, or an earlier king, and that Babylon is on the, on the horizon and the Medes are on the horizon. So there were probably historical circumstances going on at the time that convinced uh, the Ninevites that the message of Jonah made real sense. And in fact, uh, it was so overwhelming that uh, the only recourse, the only uh, uh, opportunity they saw to turn away judgment was to repent and believe. And uh, the repentance of, is of Nineveh is really significant. It stretches not only from uh, all the people. It said that the people of Nineveh believed in God. That's uh, the God of the Bible, the God that, Nineveh, that Jonah was preaching. And even the king, when he heard about this, repents. And he issues a proclamation uh, that said, no person, animal, herd, or flock is to taste anything. They are not to eat or drink water, but every person and animal must be covered with sackcloth, a sign of repentance, and people are to call on God vehemently, and they are to turn each one from his evil way and from the violence which is in their hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. And the response that God had is really remarkable. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their evil way, then God relented of the disaster which he had declared he would bring on them, so he did not do it. Now, the only reason, or maybe the ultimate reason, John, that we're dealing with Jonah today is because of the second use that Jesus makes of Jonah. In Matthew 16, 
Jesus says uh, to the Pharisees, why aren't you paying attention to the signs of the times? And he says in, in that passage, the sign of Jonah is the only sign that Jesus is going to get to that generation. Well, first of all, that refers to the burial of the Lord Jesus, that he was going to be in the grave for three days and three nights. But then in Matthew 12, uh, verse 41, uh, we have the second use of Jonah in the Gospels that Jesus makes. John, do you have that passage before you? I do. Uh, Can you read that verse? Yes, and I'm going to begin at verse uh, 38. And some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was there three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall stand up, with this generation at the judgment and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. We could, we could easily say someone greater than Jonah is here. And then of course he goes on to speak about the queen of Sheba also rising up with this generation at the judgment to condemn it because, uh, she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, someone greater than Solomon is here. So there is, uh, there is the witness uh, at the end of the age uh, in judgment uh, of Israel for their unbelief by people who were Gentiles and who did believe at the preaching uh, of uh, the God of Israel. So we're doing our our episode today on the question what the prophet Jonah has to say to our end times and that the answer comes uh, from this second use of Jonah that Jesus has just made here in Matthew 12 so Jonah points not only to the death burial uh, for three days of the Lord Jesus before he was resurrected but Jonah also speaks as a warning to all subsequent generations about the need to repent and so certainly, uh, I'm sure, John, you and I and many Christians today, living especially in America, believe that America needs to hear the message of Jonah, uh, that we need as a huge Gentile nation to repent of our iniquities and to believe on the true God and return to him. Um, Jonah teaches us that God is sovereign over the affairs of all the Gentile nations. He shows mercy to whom he wishes. Uh, and judgment to whom he wishes, uh, taught in Romans 9 and elsewhere in the Bible. Uh, and there's a caution here that uh, we as Christians need to be careful about putting limitations on uh, God's freedom to act as he wants to act among the nations of the world. But the general call is for the nations of the world to repent, uh, just as it is uh, in the book of Jonah. I think of this passage, John, in Psalm 2, which uh, begins with the question, why are the nations raging and imagining a vain thing? They are in rebellion against God's restraint of them. And uh, the answer to that is that the God in heaven uh, is not moved or uh, challenged by the affairs of Gentile nations on earth, and that he's already established a ruler of the world to come, 
uh, his anointed one, the Messiah, with the Lord Jesus Christ. But the last verse of that psalm gives uh, exhortation to the nation that they ought to uh, repent and uh, basically uh, give homage to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so that is where we as a Gentile nation and all the Gentile nations of the earth are. We need to give homage to the Son to make him truly the God of our country and those of other nations. Uh, you know, we have in our, uh, on our currency and elsewhere the slogan, In God We Trust. Uh, that needs to be uh, reinstituted, uh, reaffirmed. <laughs> Uh, we, we really probably uh, don't trust, uh, generally speaking, our nation does not trust in God, but in all kinds of other things. Jim, uh, and because of that, our iniquity has become great. Jim, can I insert something here? I think, I think it's uh, potentially um, a, a great lesson that uh, in, in the end, our own currency will stand up in witness against us. <laughs> That's a very interesting thought, yes. Well, when we come to uh, understanding then how Jonah impacts our understanding of the end times, we're pointing to the parallels between his day and our day. The United States, like Nineveh and Assyria, is a Gentile nation, and we, I think it is fair to say, we're founded on Christian values and principles, but those have been greatly eroded perhaps today as never before. Yeah. Uh, in the past, God has shown a great mercy to the United States uh, as a result of the preaching of Christian prophets like Jonah. And I think it's fair to say that every Christian plays that role in the culture and society of America today and in the past, so that whenever they see a Christian, uh, the unbeliever is basically rebuked because of the past history and knowledge that he has of our past as a nation, just as the people in Nineveh were probably uh, uh, rebuked when they considered Jonah's past and the uh, nation from which he came. Uh, and during the time of Jonah, as uh, Jeroboam brought great uh, wealth and expansion of territory to uh, Israel in the north, so we've enjoyed a time of wealth and expansion. So the parallel between Jonah's time and our time is are really amazing, I think. Yes. Uh, so we can go on to say that as God spared Nineveh for a while upon repentance, so he will do so with the United States. Uh, but, you know, the great obstacle to repentance, I think, in our country today, John, is that we've institutionalized uh, so many different forms of evil. Let's just take one form, that of abortion. It is institution. It has been institutionalized in the sense by the courts and therefore in various uh, forms of government from the top to the bottom. And to turn that around is going to be very, very difficult. Uh, we can think of other forms of evil, uh, gambling, uh, uh, prostitution, uh, uh, the homosexual agenda, and so forth and so forth, have all been in various degrees and ways uh, embedded in our institutions by law. Right. So what is it going to take uh, for our great nation to be brought to a place of repentance? Well, really, only God knows, and maybe we're beyond that. That's a sober thought. So uh, Jonah, uh, whom Jesus identifies as a sign of the times, it means that he continues to be a 
portent of judgment to come on any Gentile nation. And adumbration is the word that I often use about past events pointing toward the end times. So as we wrap this up and think about the impact that Jonah may have on our culture and on our society, uh, I hope that one thing takes place, and that is the next time we hear about Jonah, we don't think first of all, or only at least, of the great fish and uh, his being uh, swallowed therein, but that he is uh, somebody who speaks to our time because of his uh, great proclamation to Nineveh. Um, you know, uh, I often have used this expression, and I bring it up again. These are extraordinary times, and extraordinary times call for extraordinary measures of obedience and faithfulness for the believing, uh, the believing element in America today. Um, you know, it said that at the very end of the book, when Jonah had the experience of uh, the plant that gave him shade for a while, and then uh, it was eaten and and died by eaten by a worm and died. Uh, and Jonah becomes very uh, upset about that. And God has a lesson to teach Jonah at the very end when He says, uh, "Why were you so concerned about the plant that died, and you weren't so concerned about the hundred and twenty thousand lives that lived in Nineveh?" And I think we can gather a great lesson from that. Uh, Jonah had misplaced his priorities and his depth of affection. He cared more, as it were, for the plant and, it, and its loss than he did for 120 people whose lives were uh, destined for judgment if they had not repented. So it causes me to reflect upon the question, what are we more concerned about in America, we Christians? Uh, you know, we have greater wealth and prosperity than any other nation in the history of the world. So whatever was going on during the time of Jeroboam II, America has far, far surpassed that. And uh, we have affection and, and connection with our homes our house, uh, and houses, our automobiles, our jobs, perhaps our wealth, all the comforts that come to us. And these stand as it were a barrier to uh, fully coming to the place of repentance and uh, letting God work among us in our lives and uh, in our culture. Yeah. John, what would you like to say as we wrap this up? Well, I think there's a, uh, not only do you uh, mention, of course, uh, using chapter four and Jonah's uh, comforting castor bean plant or whatever variety of uh, vegetation that was, and his being more concerned for his own comfort underneath it than for the condition of his uh, enemies. Uh, I also think of Jonah as, as a good object lesson to us in, in uh, preaching the gospel. We should not hesitate to include a message of coming judgment. Uh, granted that God is a God of love, but uh, that also uh, it, it's incumbent upon us to understand that God is a God of standards. And the, the only reason really that we appeal to people to come to Christ is because they have 
indeed violated those standards and are, and are sinners. Uh, Christ came to save sinners, among whom in many ways uh, to uh, use the principle that Paul applied to himself, we are foremost, uh, especially considering uh, our rejection of our, our heritage. A second thing uh, regarding uh, the message of Jonah is that our, our enemies uh, are irredeemable. Uh, we are not, let me put it this way. <laughs> our enemies are not irredeemable. Uh, regardless of how um, we may want to vilify them in our minds. And it's very strange. I'm not thinking only of our international enemies, of which there are many. But in, in a number of ways, we are in our own worst enemies. Uh, and, and so we should... And not consider those who are of a different uh, uh, theological persuasion or a different political persuasion or a different cultural persuasion or different uh, behavioral persuasions as being enemies that are irredeemable. Uh, and then, of course, uh, to get to the issue uh, that you closed with, uh, we should not be more concerned for our own comforts than for the condition of our supposed enemies, but be gracious to them, but not hesitate to mention God's coming judgment. I, I think of uh, the great awakening uh, there in the very early 18th century under Jonathan Edwards, and it all came about uh, as a consequence of his preaching an incredibly famous sermon, arguably still, uh, let me see how many years later, well over uh, 250 years later, uh, preached the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And uh, that was a message of judgment, but it was judgment to warn people not to, uh, not to be dismissive of the grace of God uh, who is holding back uh, judgment in light of their potential repentance. Well, you know, I think uh, you've hit the nail on the head, if I can use that figure of speech. Uh, when we think again of parallel between uh, Jonah's time and our time, uh, Jonah feared to go to Nineveh because it really uh, represented an, a, uh, a powerful empire that uh, could conceivably destroy them. And that did happen 120 years or so, 50 years after Jonah. And as we think of the parallels to our day, the great uh, uh, evil force on the horizon that could conceivably destroy us is China and perhaps Russia or both of them in, in collusion. Uh, and so our uh, stability as a nation is threatened uh, by the specter of future coming uh, war or conflict in one way or another. And perhaps, uh, you know, another message we ought to remember is that uh, the judgment of God is already probably taking place. I think of Romans 1, that the wrath of God is being revealed now against all ungodliness and wickedness of people who turn away from him. And boy, that's certainly a characteristic, uh, a good description, I think, of the United States, at least in its majority. So as we wrap this up, uh, uh, I'm a deeply... Uh, 
uh, affected by the message of Jonah and reflections upon its impact for us today, and I hope our listeners are as well. Jonah has much to say to our end times, and we uh, seek to understand it even more by the grace of God, and we pray uh, that we would follow uh, the actions and uh, response of Nineveh, namely, that we would repent and lead our nation that way. Yeah. Thanks, John, for being part of this discussion. You're welcome, Jim. We look forward to next time. Right. Bye now. Bye-bye.